Today's episode is sponsored by Sweetbriar Sisters. Sweetbriar Sisters is excited to announce their latest book, Hopeful Hatchlings. This sewing pattern collection includes nine different baby animals to hatch and rehatch from adorable zipper eggs. You can find Hopeful Hatchlings along with a full collection of one-of-a-kind toy patterns at SweetbriarSisters.com. Be sure to use coupon code NAPS, N-A-P-S, for 20% off your purchase of digital patterns, including the Hopeful Hatchlings ebook, from now through August 31st, 2017. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 99 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about sewing magazines and television with my guest, Ellen March. Ellen is the community content director for the sewing division of F&W Media, including Sew News, Creative Machine Embroidery, Berta Style, Sew Daily, and the Sew It All brands. She appeared on several television shows spreading her love of sewing, most notably Hallmark's Marie Osmond Show, and DIY Network's Uncommon Threads. And she hosted Sew It All TV on PBS for nine seasons. Ellen March, welcome. Thank you. It's great to have you here, and I'm excited to dive into these topics. So um, let's start with what you're doing right now. I'm curious to hear what the day-to-day is like for a community content director for the sewing division at F&W. What does that really mean? You have so many magazines, it sounds like, under this umbrella. And so what are you actually working on on a day-to-day basis? Well, it is pretty crazy. I won't lie. Um, (laughs) um, On a day-to-day basis, I'm working on, obviously, editing uh, the magazines. Um, At any given time, we're either um, planning ahead for future issues, um, working on layouts for the current issues, uh, proofing photos for the latest photo shoot. So I never really know what month it actually is because at any given time I'll be working on projects for holiday and a shoot for, uh, you know, Halloween and then planning ahead for summer. And it's just super confusing. So thankfully we have a really great team that is very, very organized, uh, so that we can navigate through all of those seasons and projects and everything that we're doing. Um, But on top of that, we have a lot, a lot of websites and social media accounts that we are, um, you know, we have yet another group of people working on and I'm, I'm overseeing all of those operations too, and making sure that everything is fitting together. And we also have online education. So uh, we are, developing courses and working with artists and designers to develop that content as well and make sure that everything fits into the overall content plan and that basically any way anybody wants to receive the information, we are providing it in that way. So in print, online, in video form, anything we can possibly do around the core content piece, as I call it. And this is really, it must have really changed over the time that you've been working in sort of the combination of sewing and media, right? Because um, now you've got, as you said, all of these online channels that are really important and people are accessing 
this information from so many different you know, places and in many different ways, video, they're, you know, looking at Pinterest, they're buying a book, they're doing so many different things. And so it sounds to me as though it must have gotten much more complex in some ways. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I started 12 years ago, I was the editorial assistant and we didn't even really have a website. I mean, we had, we, we had a website, but it was like a homepage and maybe a couple of other pages like about us and, you know, highlights from the current issue. And I mean, when I, when I went to research the company, just so news back then, um, I couldn't find anything. Um, and, and now it's, you know, we're all over the place and we're having to just, like I said earlier, be anywhere that anybody might put their eyes on this content. So it's drastically changed. And, and 12 years ago, we were publishing So News monthly. Um, so we did 12 issues a year. And then Creative Machine Embroidery was, um, it started as a SIP, which is just a magazine that is only on newsstands. And it quickly went to subscription. Um, and that one was six times a year. And, you know, we just, we did a lot, lot more in print than we're currently doing. Um, but now there's so much more to do and so much more that goes into it. I just think back at those days about how easy we had it back then, you know, um, and we didn't even know it at the time. <laughs> right. So you started as the editorial assistant, you said, for So News. And So News at that time was not owned by F&W. No, it wasn't. It was owned by Prime Media. Um, they did Horse and Rider magazine, a bunch of different enthusiast publications. And I've actually been through, I think, five owners in the 12 years that I've been here. That's amazing because, right, this, these are different sort of private equity funds that sort of buy and sell these companies and it gets a little bit crazy, but you've managed to weather all of the different leadership changes. Somehow. Yeah. And, you know, I will, I will credit all of these owners, you know, really trust us to do what we know how to do. And that makes it really a lot easier. <laughs> um, so it's, it's been, it's been challenging, but I will say with each new owner, I definitely learned something new and lots of new things and how to transform the business. And, you know, I think that we are, evolving and changing with the times. And that's so important. So how often is So News published now? It's bi-monthly. So it's, we do six issues a year and then we have our So It All issue, which is newsstand only. And that's published once a year in the end of summer. Okay. And I should say that I'm um, very excited to be writing a column for So News this year that I'm working on this week, actually. So I just should disclose that <laughs> before we keep yeah. going. Um, so that's exciting for me. But okay, so I want to trace a little bit about how you got to this position and came to um, to be doing what you're doing now, because I'm sure people are sort of curious, well, how does this happen? So, um, so where did you grow up? So I was born in Iowa. And my mother was always a seamstress. Um, my, my grandmother actually was a seamstress in her little farm community. Um, so people would drop off their pants to be hemmed or get a prom dress made or something like that. She was like the resident seamstress. So I've really been around sewing my entire life. 
Um, and funnily enough, neither one of them really wanted to teach me. <laughs> um, I kind of learned through absorption <laughs> and uh, was pretty self-taught. And part of it was on me just because I didn't really want to follow the rules of sewing. I wanted to just make something and be done with it. Um, and that was never my grandmother's MO. Um, my, my mom was a little bit more patient on, on that, uh, in that respect. Um, you know, she would just tell me, pick out fabric, we'll make something out of it. And of course I would pick like stretch velvet or something like super terrifying to sew. Um, but at any rate, that's kind of where my, my sewing background began. Um, and my dad was a editor at the Des Moines Register. And when I was about 10 years old, we moved to California where he was an editor at the LA Times. And so he was always very much the grammar hound and, you know, really instilled uh, that part of my life. Um, you know, I, I really hated it as a young child uh, getting corrected all the time, but uh, now I catch myself doing it even with my five-year-old. So <laughs> it's ingrained in me. Uh, so, you know, both my parents think that I'm just the chip off the old block here, but um, I did not go to college to be a journalist or um, it, anything of that nature. It's kind of a weird combination. I I went to uh, USC in Southern California and I majored in humanities with an emphasis in theater where I did acting and I dabbled in costume design. Um, and then I minored in business administration, which oddly those things really qualify me to do exactly what I'm doing these days. And I, I never thought that I would find something that combined all of those interests in, into one, but here I am. Um, but my story of getting this job at Sew News is I, I love telling the story because, um, it, it just really shows that instead of kind of applying for jobs that you think you might be able to do, um, what I started doing after tons of rejection was to start looking for jobs in the areas of things that I liked. So I started searching sewing. I started searching costuming. I started searching these words instead of administrative assistant and, you know, things that I thought might be good entry level jobs. So once I started searching for sewing, up came this job for Sew News Magazine that happened to be run out of Golden, Colorado. And I was living in Golden, Colorado at the time and they needed a graphic designer. And I said to myself, I'm no graphic designer by any means, but this could be a dream job for me. I can't believe there's even sewing magazines. I didn't even know they existed. And despite my many, many trips to Joann's throughout my life, um, and I did, did as much research as I could um, for the company that had just a homepage online, and I wrote a letter to the editor in chief and I said, I'm not a graphic designer, but here is what I do do. Here are some designs of some clothes that I made and some pictures of projects that I've made. And I love doing this. I love writing. This would be a dream for me. The end. And about six weeks later, she actually called me 
while I was on a waitressing shift (laughs) and said, I don't have a budget for an editorial assistant. I don't, you know, we haven't had one in two years, but please come and interview. I've got to meet you. So I met her and pretty much after that interview, she said, you're hired, but I can't hire you yet. I have to get all this approved, yada, yada, yada. So cut to about four or six months later, I finally started working here. I I still had to bartend and wait tables while all of this was going on, which was just agony for me. But I finally got out of that life and into this life. And it was game changing, dream come true. That's so fascinating. And the fact that you sort of saw a job at a place that wasn't the right job for you, but sort of pitched yourself as having skills they might need um, and asked for maybe them to create a job for you um, and it worked (laughs) is really inspiring. And I think, um, I think as, you know, I was just doing some, um, well, I guess sort of career counseling with somebody recently. And that's exactly what I told her. I said, you know, the, the companies that would be the right fit for you probably don't have a job opening right now that describes what it is that you know about and are able to do, but they need you. And so maybe you can just meet with them and explain what you do. And they might at that point be like, oh, yes, we will create a job for you. Um, so, you know, I think you got to ask for what you want. Uh, and that's, that's fantastic that it worked. And what brought you to Golden, Colorado from Southern California? Oh, uh, well, when I graduated, it, as you can imagine, it was extremely hard finding a job out there in California and finding a place to live that I could afford um, while waiting tables, which feels like another life ago, finally. But um, I I spent a year after college trying to do just that, and I just wasn't getting anywhere. And I was so sick of the traffic of LA, and I, I just couldn't handle it. And I had a college roommate who was from Colorado, and I had visited out here with her um, a few times. And I just was like, I'm, I'm just going to go on a whim and, and move to Colorado. And I had some other friends that lived here and I, I couch surfed for a little bit while I got another waitressing job. Um, and it just sort of serendipitously brought me here. I see. Um, but yeah. And, and after college, I did try to have um, a little bit of a business selling clothes and bags that I had made and going to music festivals and and going that route. And it, um, it, it was mildly successful for me. Um, but it wasn't enough to, to pay the bills and keep things going. Right. It's very, that's very hard, especially when you don't have health insurance and things like that. So health insurance, insurance. there was no Etsy back then where I, you know, and if there was, it might've changed my life. So I'm I'm actually kind of glad there wasn't. (laughs) That's true. Right. The the number of ways to make creativity into a career has also really expanded. So with the complexity of how people are consuming media has also come all these new opportunities for independent makers, which is um, also really good. So um, that those two things kind of couple together. Um, and I'm wondering how you um, sort of rose through the ranks because it sounds as though you started out as in an assistance position and now here you are kind of at the top. So, um, so was there like a, like just a series of promotions? 
Yeah, there was. Um, and it's funny when I started, I thought to myself, you know, this might be horrible to say, but I was like, somebody's going to have to die before I move up because everyone had been here for so long and the environment was much different than it is now as well. Um, and I don't know if that's just because we were more print focused then or what, but, um, you know, you'd walk around the cubicles and everyone would have their headphones and you'd have to kind of tiptoe in and like knock on their desk to get someone's attention. And, um, it, it wasn't as much of a collaborative work environment as it is now. Um, you know, it was to a certain extent, but certainly not as lively and, you know, crazy as we are now. But, um, at any rate, about three months into being the editorial assistant, uh, one of the associate editors, um, actually left to, I believe, go work at Interweave, which is ironic now that we're part of Interweave. Um, but she went to the editor in chief at the time and said, I really think Ellen should, you know, take, take my place. And, uh, we had an intern at the time working for us and she was about to graduate. And so it just so happens the intern moved into the assistant position and I, uh, was lucky enough to become the associate editor. And then maybe six months later, I was the managing editor. And then our, our editor in chief was about to retire. And so I moved up in the ranks again and I inherited creative machine embroidery magazine and totally redesigned it. We brought it in house. It was used to be, um, all produced freelance. And, uh, we brought it in house to, to kind of reshape it and pretty much relaunch it. And then, uh, slowly, but surely I, I just got all of these other brands under my wing as we, you know, consolidated and got new management and things like that. And so, yeah, now I'm running the whole sewing division. So it's, and what do you think you did all along over the course of these many years to have people trust you with these new brands and say, oh, Ellen can do this. You know what I'm saying? So there must have been something that you were doing that, you know, instilled that level of confidence or, I don't know, just gave people the feeling like you could handle it. Um. Wow. I really have to think about that one. Um, I mean, I always volunteered for everything. Um, if there was a show to travel to and nobody could do it, I always wanted to, um, if there were kind of holes to fill in the magazine or we had a designer design something, but they, they couldn't sew it. I was always a person to do it. Um, I think it was really just enthusiasm and, and drive, honestly. Um, just, kind of always being there to, uh, support everyone. And, um, I, I don't know, I, I, I just have such a passion for it and I, I guess, um, it's noticed. So that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that's great. I think, um, always saying, saying yes or volunteering and having, um, enthusiasm, positivity, you know, those, those kinds of traits are really important in a workplace. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Sweetbriar Sisters. Sweetbriar Sisters is a soft toy pattern company that I've been following for several years now. The patterns are designed by Jessica George, and they're super adorable, and they make great gifts for babies. You can sew them out of quilting cotton scraps, which I love. 
Recently, Jessica self-published a really impressive book of patterns, and I have it. It's called Hopeful Hatchlings, and it includes a whole variety of baby animals plus an egg that you can zip or open and close. It's so clever. Kids can put the animals in the egg, zip it closed, then open it and make the baby hatch. I think it's an awesome concept. My daughter has one um, that Jessica actually made for her, and my six-year-old, and she totally loves it. It's a dragon in a golden egg. Um, and I just think a toy like that that's handmade and interactive is so special. My 11-year-old daughter, Stella, and I actually collaborated recently. We sewed the platypus from Hopeful Hatchlings, and you can see that on my Instagram. Um, and it was actually really easy to sew. All the pattern pieces are um, perfectly shaped, so everything comes together. All the seams match up. No stress. And it's kind of rare to find a pattern for a platypus softie, but that is one of Stella's two favorite animals. Her other favorite animal is um, uh, a pelican. So there's no pelican in this book, but there is a platypus. And so she was super excited. Uh, so we finished it up just in time for her 11th birthday. And I gave it to her for her birthday when it was done. Um, so the book, Hopeful Hatchlings, also includes patterns for a turtle, a chick, an owl, a baby bird, a penguin, a dragon, a dinosaur, a fried egg, which is hilarious to put inside the egg, and a nest for the mama bird. Plus, you get the zippered egg pattern, which is key, so you can put the animal in the egg um, and hold it. So you can find Jessica's Sweetbriar Sisters patterns, including the Hopeful Hatchlings ebook and book, at sweetbriarsisters.com. There's a PDF there if you want to do it that way. And you can get the actual book, the hard copy book, at local quilt shops around the country. So I hope you'll check it out. If you use the code NAPS, N-A-P-S, at checkout, on sweetbriarsisters.com. You're going to save 20% now through the end of August 2017. So head on over, take advantage of that NAPS coupon and check it out. Thank you so much, Jessica. And now back to my conversation with Ellen. Um, whether you're a freelancer or whether you're working for a large corporation, uh, and those are the types of things that get you new opportunities. So I think that that's you know, good to hear that it does work. Um, to be the person who says, yes, I'll do it. You know, I'll take it on. And then to follow through, obviously, that's the other piece, right? <laughs> actually following through with good results. Um, so I know that I want to make sure we talk about your TV career because that's super interesting and exciting. But before we do that, I think a lot of our listeners are probably really interested in getting published in a magazine. And so I want to spend a little bit of time kind of fleshing that out if we could. Um, so first, what should people do so that they have the best chance of getting published when they submit, right? They, you have some submission guidelines that, you know, people can look up. Uh, online and find out what kinds of things, you know, the magazines, whether it's So News or Creative Machine Embroidery or Berta Style might be interested in. Um, mm -hmm. But but after that, when once you get a sense of that, you know, what should they do and, and what shouldn't they do when it comes to creating a proposal of a project for a magazine? I'm so glad you're asking this. Okay, so um, we we have a list of contributors and we send out kind of monthly calls for editorial to that list. And there are certain people who, you know, they'll, they'll email whoever they can get their hands on to say, I want to contribute. How do I do so? 
And for the most part, we will just add them to the contributor list. And then they start getting the email notifications of what exactly it is that we're looking for. Um, you know, what time frame? because, you know, sometimes we're working six months ahead. Sometimes we'll ask for things eight months ahead, depending on when our photo shoots are happening and what we can, you, you know, we're, we're inevitably shooting swimsuits in December. And so sometimes we want to curb that and shoot them a little earlier, et cetera. So to, to understand the time frame um, and things like that. And we also provide a little bit of a mood board. Um, and it's really just inspiration images. Um, you know, these things we feel are trending for this season or um, we we haven't discussed, let's say, invisible zipper application in three years. So let's revisit it and get a new take on it, something like that. Um, and that's a really important thing to consider is the new take on something. So you know, as well as I do that, sewing is sewing is sewing at the end of the day. There's really only so many ways that you can hem your pants. Um, but if you are coming at it from either you have a great tip or you have a new twist on it or a different way of doing it or a different fabric to consider or something like this that's making it unique to you, that's what we are most interested in because we have over 35 years of content that we can pull from. And if a story idea comes in and we've published it six times over the course of even the last 10 years, we're probably not even going to consider it unless there is something that is really sparking our interest and really making it different from what we've done in the past or different from the traditional way of doing it. And I want to just pause here because I think I was um, speaking with somebody else recently and she was talking about creating a YouTube video for her website. And she said, well, I really wanted to do it about sewing a zipper, how to insert a zipper, um, because I know how to teach that really well. And it's, it's the most common question I get. You know, I always get people asking me about how to do that, but it's already been done a million times. And so she was very discouraged feeling like I couldn't possibly, you know, do that and have that be a, a YouTube video because there's already 10,000 YouTube videos about how to create, you know, sew in a zipper. And, um, and my point to her was, that's okay. You do it your way. And it's still, yes, it exists everywhere, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't still create your own way of doing this and show your own audience how to do it. And so I just wanted to say, like, don't be discouraged if you feel like everything in sewing's already been done. How could I possibly come up with an idea for a magazine? Because you likely do have a way of doing it or something about your technique or your fabric choice, et cetera, that is somewhat unique that you could sort of do more with. And it still is new in that way. Exactly. And Another important thing to include in the query is just a little bit of information about yourself and what makes you you, because we are incorporating more and more stories behind projects into the magazine. I don't know if you've noticed this past year, but we're really kind of overhauling the content to, um, you know, put more of the news back into So News as opposed to just a project-based magazine. And why is um, that? Is that driven by online having so many projects easily clickable and so the magazine needs to infuse story? Or is there something about storytelling that makes the, the tutorials more compelling? I think it makes it more compelling and it gives you more of a reason to want to do it. 
Um, and maybe you can identify with the person or the story. And then you realize, oh, I've got to have this bag because, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, a infusion of lifestyle into the magazine. And I've been wanting to put the, you know, news back into so news for a while now and kind of struggling with how to do that. Um, you know, does that stuff belong online? Does it belong in the pages? And, you know, more and more and, and over my experience with the magazine, um, people want to tell their story too. We get letters upon letters about people wanting to talk about how their grandmother taught them sewing or how sewing has propelled them in their career or this and that. And I feel just that those stories deserve to be shared and that, that there are some that are very inspirational out there. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So, so tell a little bit about your story and um, make sure you sort of look at the magazine and what's been in it for a little while and think about what you could add that might be a new twist. Um, okay. So those are two really good tips. And then should people create the entire project and then show that to you or a sketch? Do they need a title for the, the project already? Um, photos? Like what, what else should they put into this pitch? Sure. Um, we don't necessarily need a title. If you want to call it something, that's fine. Um, we don't need a finished project, but there are some times where someone has created something really awesome and they're like, wow, you know, this was really my heart and soul. And this, this is newsworthy or, you know, this needs to be on the cover of a magazine. We will get queries like that too, where someone says, I created this. It took me three months or a day or whatever. And look how beautiful it is. I would love to share it with your readers. And sometimes we'll take it as is. And sometimes we'll say, we agree. This is a great project. Is there any way you could make this out of blue felted wool or, you know, something like that, um, maybe to fit more with our color scheme or the time of year, or, um, just to use a great product that we are, uh, that we have noticed that we want to work with, um, or something like that. So sometimes we will ask to tweak the design just slightly. Um, but again, sometimes we'll take it as is, but For the most part, we ask for a detailed description of either the project or the technique or the story and either sketches or photographs, some kind of visualization for it. We've even had people send in um, just Pinterest images and say, this is just inspiration and I plan on changing it X, Y, Z ways. Just something to where we understand what you're talking about. Okay. And should the pitch be fairly short overall? I mean, how long are we talking about? A very short outline, I would say a little introduction, maybe three bullet points and some images. Okay. Right. Because you probably get quite a few of these. And if somebody's sending, you know, 500, a thousand words, there's no way you're going to sit down and read it. Mm -hmm. And please, please spell check. We get quite a few chuckles during our (laughs) during our edit planning meetings, Um, which, you know, I realize we are editors. That's what we're here to do. That's why we have jobs, because a lot of times people who are super creative are not um, that great at forming instructions and, and talking about the work. And that's why we have jobs. So we should be grateful for that. But a simple spell check will do wonders for you. 
Okay, great. And what if the quality of your photos or your ability to draw your own diagrams is not quite up to snuff? Is that okay? Oh yeah, doesn't matter at all. I've drawn, I've, I've, excuse me, I have accepted things that are stick figures and you know lots of arrows with little notes like this squiggly line is a zipper, you know, <laughs> uh, and that's totally fine. That's why we have illustrators. That's why we have professional photography. You know, this is just to give us an idea of what you're talking about. Okay. And what do you think is the benefit for people in submitting something to a magazine? Because, you know, as we talked about several times already, there's lots of places now to publish your craft work, whether it's on your own blog, it can even be on Instagram as a form of publishing. I mean, there's so many different ways to do this. You can self-publish, you can do a PDF. Um, so when it comes to choosing to say, okay, I'm going to try to get this into creative machine embroidery, or I'm going to try to get this into So News, what do you see sort of today's media market as a benefit to an independent designer um, in working with a magazine? Mm -hmm. I think there are a couple of benefits. First of all, we have great relationships with our advertisers and our partners and supporters. And being associated with the magazine kind of gets you an in into those relationships. Um, Because a lot of the times, someone who's a frequent advertiser who might also need some content for their site or they want people to use their products um, and, and maybe their, their great social media following, something like that. It gives you more credibility to those partners and advertisers um, and just visibility for them. Secondly, um, we have sort of a, a bit of a guaranteed audience. You know, we are over 90% subscriber based in both So News and Creative Machine Embroidery, which is a very unique opportunity. And it's also a different audience than you will be getting online. Um, you know, these are very, very dedicated enthusiast sewers. And it's, it, it is a unique platform in that way. You know, online, you might, uh, you might strike it rich online and, and get a viral video that all of a sudden you're plastered all over the place. Um, but are you really reaching people who might frequent your website and who might come back? You don't really know, you know, maybe they were dabbling and they just needed to figure out how to hem this pair of pants and they're gone, you know? Um, whereas this is a more, more dedicated um, audience to be associated with. How much can somebody who is an independent designer who goes through this process and has their pitch accepted, how much can they expect on average, you don't have to give us exact numbers, but to get paid for a magazine piece? And also, as far as like the rights are concerned, um, do the rights, um, and I'm talking about like the copyright over the, the pattern, do they revert back to the designer at some point so he or she could, for example, self-publish or contribute that pattern elsewhere? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so first with the payment, we pay anywhere from $150 to about $450 per content piece. And it really depends on where it's going to be published. You know, if it's going to be a piece that goes online and it's, you know, 10 reasons that sewing is better than a boyfriend or something like that, um, that's probably going to be on the lower side of the payment. And then if it is a... extremely technical piece with lots of samples and, you know, it's going to span probably six pages in print 
as well as online, then that's going to be on the on the higher side of the payment. Um, but then again, if we do build a content piece out into these other channels, such as a course, a webinar, you know, maybe even a book deal, um, you know, several uh, blog iterations, things like that, um, then you can expect more payment for that content because, you know, you would be paid separately kind of for these different pieces. Um, as far as the rights go, we do require all rights to the content as we publish it, which means we can take whatever we put in print or online and reprint it in another magazine. If we did a special issue, um, we could compile it into a book of, let's say, Sonu's greatest hits. Um, we could basically publish it in any way we, we see fit again. Um, we still give credit to the original designer. Um, and as far as reverting back, the rights reverting back, um, we don't do that. Uh, however, there are a couple of loopholes and those are sometimes we will, we will seek out a specific designer because they're super popular or we love their work or they just came up with this great pattern and, oh man, it's just like flying off the virtual shelves, things like that. And we will say, can you do a version of this that is specifically for us? Or we will, we will specifically commission something based on something else that we really like. And in that case, we, we still have all rights to the content that we purchased, but you still own your original piece. Right. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about, and I, and I actually don't remember which magazine publication this was in, but Jenny Baker from In Color Order has this incredibly popular drawstring bag project. It's a pattern and comes in all these different sizes and that sort of thing. And she did one for a magazine that's somewhat different, but it's essentially the same. And that way it sort of was able to be both hers and theirs. So that's an example. Um, you know, it was a somewhat different version of a very popular pattern that was able to be printed in a magazine. So, okay, that makes sense. Um, and, uh, okay, I think, I think we, we covered magazines pretty well there. Um, and, uh, you know, is there a way for people, for example, to get on that um, list of uh, contributor calls? Because I know that that might be something that some listeners might be interested in. What's the best way for them to sort of see if they can get on that list? Sure. So on our submission guidelines on the website, you can email. Um, the email is actually sewingeditorial at gmail.com. Okay. And you just send an email and say, I want to be part of your contributors list. That's as, it's as simple as that. Or you can just send a query along with it. Right. Okay. Super. That's a great lead. Um, all right. So let's um, shift gears a little bit now and talk about the PBS show um, and some of the TV that you've done, because I think that's really interesting and exciting. And so you hosted nine seasons of Sew It All TV, which is a lot. Um, and you started when it first went on the air in 2011. Is that right? Um, yes, I think it was 2010. Oh, okay. All right. But you were, you, you sort of were the original host from the beginning. I was, I conceptualized and produced the whole show as well. Wow. So, so tell us a little bit about that conceptualizing part. Um, when you first kind of came up with the idea, was it something that came to you and, you know, 
was presented as, okay, develop a PBS show for us? Or was it the other way around? Or how did it come about? It was the other way around. Um, when New Track Media purchased us before the F&W acquisition, um, they had already purchased Fonz and Porter's Love of Quilting, which had a very established PBS show. And after they acquired us, I immediately went to my publisher and said, hey, they do PBS. Does this mean we can do PBS too? <laughs> and she said, sure, put together an outline and let's see if we can, you know, sell it basically. Um, so I put together this concept and it actually was a combination of a few things. Um, one of our ad sales reps at the time, Wendy Thompson, um, we did a lot, a lot of traveling together. And she was always saying, you know, we need a Rachel Ray of the sewing world. And it was kind of like light bulb in my brain. Like, why can I not be that person? Let's do it because I am all about instant gratification sewing. I think that's a way to really get newbies into the hobby. Um, knowing that you can actually start something and finish it. I think that's a huge challenge for, for a number of us doing anything creative figuring out how to work it into our life and, you know, actually finish it. So I came up with this concept that was kind of like the 30 minute meals for sewing, um, knowing full well that you can't really complete a meaningful sewing project in 30 minutes. It sort of evolved into, you can make this in an afternoon. So a few hours time and you can be in a new garment, have a new accessory or spruce up your home and actually finish it and be proud of it. So that was the concept of the, of the show. And I put together an outline with 13 original uh, episodes to start with and sort of built out those episodes and what they would consist of and, and guests that I would love to work with that could be on the show if, if they somehow said yes. And we got funding in less than three months and then we were off to the races and then it was, oh my gosh, we're actually going to do this. And, oh my <laughs> gosh, this is on top of everything I already do. Oh my gosh. Um, um, but, but I love the idea that here's like a second example of you sort of seeing an opportunity to do something that would sort of be a dream job that actually wasn't on the board. <laughs> It wasn't like we are searching for a host to do something like Rachel Ray, but for some, I mean, that wasn't out there already, but it was something that we sort of, you saw, okay, the resources are here. The capacity is here. I could do this and sort of going after it. And I, and sort of asking for a job that you wanted. Yeah, I I keep doing that, don't I? <laughs> I just think that it's really inspiring to people. You know, sometimes we wonder like, well, how did this come about? And it's like, well, um, I saw an opportunity and then I, I tried, you know, I asked for it and, and I'm sure, it, which we're not talking about right now, but I'm sure there were other things along the way um, where you asked for something and it didn't pan out. You know what I mean? That you, you, yeah. you probably have done this other times and been like, oh, eh, no, not going to happen. Yeah. Well, I thought early on, I thought it was really important that we have some kind of sewing representation on television that wasn't Project Runway. Um, because not everybody wants to be a fashion designer. Um, and, and you don't have to be this, this crazy glamorous fashion designer in order to have your life be sewing. Um, 
and so that's why I kind of dabbled in, you know, doing these appearances like Uncommon Threads. And, and I think that was like 2006 or something like that. Going back to what you were saying before, I think it's just really important to ask for things, but to be really smart about the ask and to be able to back it up, um, whether it's saying, you know, this is really trending right now. I've looked up on Google and this this topic or this you know, way that people are consuming content or whatever it is, you know, to be able to prove that you think this is going to work for you or your brand or your job or your life. Um, I think there are a lot of people that I've come into contact with in my career here that they kind of just sit and wait and want to see what, what the company's going to do or what this person's going to do or what this brand is going to do. And then maybe they can just follow suit or just make, make it happen that way. But you really need to be proactive and just say, okay, I'm seeing an opportunity here. What can we do to make this work for us? How can we kind of jump on this bandwagon or make it happen before there even is a bandwagon, you know, um, become the pioneers and just kind of do it. Um, I, I think a lot of my success is because I, don't ask for permission. I ask for forgiveness later. And there are very few times that I've had to ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. That's great advice. Um, So I'm imagining some of your, um, maybe some of your theater uh, training in college might've helped when you did get on the air. Oh, absolutely. Um, It was a total crash course, um, you know, and the, and the difference is, when I was doing theater growing up and I even dabbled in a couple of TV things, which are kind of embarrassing. I'll tell you if you want to know, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you can tell us. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I did a B movie when I was 17 and it was called violent times. Okay. And yeah, if you look it up, you can probably not find much about it, but, um, (laughs) it's kind of like Harry and the Hendersons. Um, except instead of a giant Bigfoot coming to live with this family, it was a little two foot hairy alien of sorts. And it comes in and kind of like fixes this family dynamic. Okay. Anyway, it had nothing to do with sewing, but, um, it was kind of my crash course on following cameras and having a multi-camera shoot. And we shot in this house that was half finished with, you know, walls that they had demolished for the equipment and things like that. So that was a very good experience for me, just knowing how that all works and being familiar with makeup and call times and, you know, this and that. Um, And then the same year I did an educational film for a company that produces films for home at classrooms and it's called picking your pattern fabric and notions. Love it. And it just so happens that I was cast in that one. Um, And it, and we sat, we, filmed in a fabric store and it was all about me from the very beginning to end making a garment and picking out fabrics. And it was just really ironic. That yeah. That was- yeah. Yeah. It's like, who could have known? That's funny. <laughs> and it's still out there today. It's funny. Um, but as far as being yourself in front of the camera, very, very different. And I think more challenging than, you know, b- being able to play someone else. So that was a little bit of a switch for me, um, is because on TV, you have to be yourself times 
50 or 100, depending on how energetic you are. <laughs> and, you know, really, really bring the energy and, and talk a lot faster and louder than you normally would. And um, I, you know, being in the theater, I was very used to projecting and things like that. So that came natural to me. Um, and following the cameras was no big deal. It was, it was harder for me to, I guess, um, I guess I, I was critical and, and, um, full of just trying to edit myself too much before I would speak. And so I think throughout the nine seasons, I got a lot better at that and, um, more confident in myself and sure that, you know, I was, I was going to be enough. Um, you know, I didn't need to pretend to be somebody I wasn't. And, um, so that was most challenging for me. Yeah. But what good lessons though? I love that, you know, that you are going to be enough and don't need to pretend to be somebody else. Um, that everything that you are is, is what they're looking for and is what is needed. You know, um, I mean, that's, I think like perhaps the biggest thing we all struggle with. So, um, so that's a great way to, to learn that. And what happened to the show after nine seasons? Um, well, when F and W acquired us, they, um, you know, they kind of came in and reevaluated everything we were doing. Um, and PBS became very uh, secondary to the core businesses. They, they shattered a, a lot of special issues that we were doing and they really wanted to focus on the core brands and, the, the print titles and really kind of strengthening that. So we actually lost So It All altogether. We stopped publishing the magazine. We stopped doing the TV show and it was very, very abrupt. I mean, I think we were going to film our next season in like two months time and it all came to a screeching halt and was just the, the contracts were just not signed and um, things like that. Thankfully I hadn't, um, finalize the guest list. So I didn't have to disappoint 13. That's good. So that was good. But, um, but that must've been hard. I mean, I think it, it sounds like it was really enjoyable, challenging, but an enjoyable experience for you. Um, and so, and one that you were hoping to continue. So. Yeah, it was crushing. Honestly, I had, I mourned about it for, for a while. Um, but in the end, I kind of think it was a blessing in disguise only because um, a few short months later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And if I had to keep the So It All TV show going while staying at work through all of that treatment and everything, I think that I, I, I don't know what would have happened, but it would have been way more challenging. So in the end, it was probably a good thing that happened. I would love to bring it back in some kind of way. And I think the the current management would be open to it. So yeah, I hope it can come back and that maybe, you know, maybe not necessarily through PBS, but in some other, in some other way, or maybe through PBS, I'm, you know, I don't know, but, um, but it, it was a neat show to watch. I watched a few episodes of it just in preparation to talk to you today. And I really enjoyed it. It was, it's a good show. Um, so oh, I, yeah. Yeah, I hope it can come back. And I imagine um, that you probably really expanded your network when you have a show like that for such a long time. I know just from having this podcast that I've met so many interesting people that you sort of have an excuse to talk to and um, and learn more from and get to know. And so I'm imagining just that aspect must have been satisfying too. 
Oh, absolutely. There are so many friendships that I made with just the hosts and um, even the the sponsorship partners. I mean, it it was the the best experience all around. And so I want to talk, if you if you're willing, a little bit about your battle with breast cancer. Um, I I'm assuming you're willing just because it was sort of online. You had a um, uh, a fundraising page online. So I'm, I'm and where you sort of told the story about what happened. And so I wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about what that experience has been. Sure. Um, it was terrifying. It still is. Um, you know, I, I was diagnosed or I, I got, I figured out there was a problem because, um, I was nursing my twin girls and they rejected, um, one of my breasts at, you know, towards the end of, um, their, my time breastfeeding them, I was like in the process of weaning them. And so I thought, well, I'll just, you know, wean this side, it'll dry up. Um, and it never really softened again. Um, it was just this hard lump, the whole breast. So I went to the doctor and they figured out I had a 13 centimeter tumor in there. Um, I had to wean my girls completely and go right into menopause. Um, it was, you know, the, the hardest thing of my life, but I continued to work throughout the whole thing. I think that was, um, a very, very important thing to do. And, you know, with the support of my team here who really lifted me up and really kept things going, when I was here, but not here, um, you know, it was just an, an amazing and very trying experience. And I had my last surgery in December and now I'm cancer free and maintaining. And turns out that all that chemo I went through was, um, actually a good thing for me because my, my body responded to it. And the, the chemo actually ended up, uh, dissolving all of the cancerous cells in my body. Um, some people are not that lucky and I realize and recognize that every day. Um, but now it's all about maintaining and moving on and trying to get over the great fear of recurrence, um, which I'm, I'm told diminishes every day that you continue to be a survivor. So I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. What an experience. Um, my goodness. I, I just can't, I can't imagine. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing well and, and feeling and feeling good um, and are there for your, you have three children, right? I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm so glad that, that things turned out well for you and, um, and you have a, a very cute short haircut now. So there's that. That's <laughs> <laughs> one positive. I know all that hair. Oh man, I had such long hair. It's just so funny that I mean, we obsess about our hair more than our, our breasts. <laughs> I know it's, it is odd. And, um, my mother-in-law had ovarian cancer and she had quite a long hairstyle as well, which she always wore up in this very specific updo. And the day that she lost her hair was really, you know, it's a big thing. It is, it's a big deal. So, um, I will say though too, that the, the sewing community as a whole really reached out to me. And I mean, I have handwritten letters that are on my, the bulletin board behind my desk of people that I've never met or known. Um, I received countless donations just from 
viewers of Sew It All, readers of the magazine, um, from our, our competitors. Um, it, it was an amazing, amazing outpouring of support. And I just, I'm, I'm tearing up right now, just even reliving it because the, this community is so, so great and such a fantastic one to be a part of. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all because it is. I agree with you. Um, so, all right. I want to talk about your recommendations, if that's okay, because you recommended some really great things and I want to make sure that we have time to talk about them. Um, so first you wanted to recommend a machine. It's a Husqvarna Viking Epic and I have not tried this. So tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah. So, you know, technically I'm not supposed to recommend any machine over the other. And, you know, honestly, there are so many machine brands that they have, they have great, great machines. I just happen to be working on the Husqvarna Viking Epic these days because it is in my office. Um, I swap them out with different brands though, periodically and get to know every single thing about that machine um, before I move on, just so that I can speak to it uh, intelligently. But man, this machine truly is epic. I mean, it lives up to its name. It, it, you know, you can wind bobbins while you're still sewing. It has embroidery capabilities. It has every bell and whistle you could possibly think of, or you don't, you don't even know you want it. And then you can't live without it. Um, it has Wi-Fi capabilities. It will, it, it, it talks to you basically short of knowing your name. This, this machine is, is pretty intelligent. That's amazing. And it just made me think randomly about, is there a sewing machine out there that sort of, I don't know, talks to the iPhone? I feel like there, maybe there is already, but, or maybe it's just through apps. Um, but I guess I feel like those are two things right now in my mind that aren't quite connected, but maybe they could be or better connected. They do. There's a Janome machine actually that has an iPad app and you can actually like dock the iPad on it and you can take your iPad like outside as long as you're still on Wi-Fi and you can watch what the um, needle camera is looking at. So if you're embroidering a, a design that's maybe 45 minutes long and you go downstairs to make yourself a cup of coffee, you take your iPad with you and you can watch what the machine's doing in your absence. My goodness. It's amazing. Wow. Okay. This is interesting. Right now, my my Janome is on the fritz. So I am sewing on a super old white classic. That is the most basic possible sewing machine a person could <laughs> own. It has like, you know, zigzag and straight stitch and that is all. So um, sewing machines sure do come in a lot of varieties, but that's fascinating. So, um, okay. You also wanted to recommend um, a pattern from Named Clothing um, and it's the Alexandria Peg Trousers. Yeah. So I do not make myself pants very often. Quite honestly, like I said, I'm more about instant gratification sewing and pants are not instant gratification. (laughs) Um, I mean, unless you're making like an elastic waist pajama pants. Right. Um, But these are super fashionable pants. They're kind of pleated in the front. They have pockets. Um, They are a little bit um, tapered at the ankle And I made them out of a cotton and steel rayon, which was a dream fabric to work with. Let me just tell you, I did not do any alterations because I just wanted to test the pattern and see how it was going to come out to my size. And it is perfect. Wow. Um, 
that I had zero alterations. I only got caught up on one part of the pattern and that was where the pleats kind of overlapped the pocket and it's just a styling um, element to the pattern. But um, yeah, I had no alterations. I had no problems. I didn't even have to rip out a seam. So in that respect, like these are my favorite pant pattern. This is my favorite pant pattern. Nice. That's a great recommendation. (laughs) And then I love the variety of what you recommended. So you have a machine and you have a pattern and now you have fabric, which is the last one, which is, this is a very good combo. So, um, so you wanted to recommend cloud nine bark cloth. Oh yeah. So bark cloth is so cool. And I first started seeing it sort of reemerge onto the scene at a spring quilt market. Um, but then when I went again to quilt market in the fall, um, a whole bunch of companies are doing this substrate and it's just like a really cool fabric. You know, it has this interesting texture to it. It has body to it. So you can make it out of a jacket, but it's also, you know, the hand is also, um, you know, it doesn't feel like canvas in your hand, you know, it's, it has a good wearability to it. So I can't wait to start making some stuff with it. I feel like it's sort of a throwback to the seventies in a way, right? Like seventies bark cloth, but now it's back and, and modern. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I love all the different I also feel like there's just been so many different substrates coming out of the quilting cotton manufacturers. Um, sort of we were expanded far past simple quilting cotton to all these different, um, you know, poplin and um, all these different substrates that are good for clothing and for home deck um, that are coming out of these manufacturers now, which is sort of an expansion of their of their lines. Totally. It, back in the day, you could get knit in like, 10 colors. Okay. Or you special ordered it and you didn't really know what it was going to come out looking like. And now everybody's coming out with these great knits. And like you said, all these different, you know, linen and poplin and rayon. And it's just, it's, it's making garment sewing have this great comeback. Yeah, it's great. And I I also think it's sort of breaking down some of the barriers perhaps between quilters or quilting and people who sew garments and people who sew accessories at home deck, people like me who sew stuffed animals and dolls, people who sew all different kinds of things are sort of crossing that barrier over the beauty of this fabric. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Right? I think so. (laughs) Perhaps. So, well, Ellen, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walshy Naps podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. And if listeners want to get in touch with you or sort of send you a message, what is the best way for them to reach out? They can use that sewing editorial at Gmail. Okay. uh, Address. Okay, super. Um, And you've been listening to the While She Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, whileshenaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing and blogging and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And a big thank you to today's sponsor, Sweetbriar Sisters. Sweetbriar Sisters is excited to announce their latest book, Hopeful Hatchlings. This sewing pattern collection includes nine different baby animals to hatch and rehatch from an adorable zippered egg. You can find Hopeful Hatchlings along with a full collection of -of one-of-a-kind toy patterns at SweetbriarSisters.com. 
be sure to use the coupon code NAPS, N-A-P-S, and save 20% off the purchase of digital patterns, including the Hopeful Hatchlings ebook, between now and August 31st, 2017. Thank you so much, Sweetbriar Sisters. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.